0: Um, can I ask you, have you ever looked at photos of yourself of a few years ago and thought, uh, what was I thinking when you, when you looked at it? So, so, so maybe you tried a new hairstyle, I, I know that's something I often do. Or maybe you, uh, you wore particular clothes and it's maybe five years, ten years, fifteen years ago and then you're just like, what was I thinking? Can anybody relate to that? Yeah. Have you ever bought... Maybe something a piece of furniture or, or or something external, and then one day you sit in your house and you look at it and you think, "What was I thinking why would i why why did I think this was a good idea and at the time you were probably very passionate about that piece of furniture, but now, with a bit of sobriety, you realize what was I thinking maybe this one is, is slightly more rude, I guess, but have you ever looked at an old photo of your high school crush um, and you thought <laughs> what was I thinking <coughs> Yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly <laughs> all right yeah so that was um, that was my next point Chris if you, you can maybe just stand up no you don't have to um. So, so you 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 think to yourself? Wow, what what was I thinking? Now, the 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 point is, I'm, I'm I can't answer on behalf of Hiergi, but the point is that I was not thinking; we were thinking. I was not thinking; we were thinking. Here's the point: There's an anthropologist uh, by the name of Rene Girard, and. And he came up with this idea, or he coined it at least, what we call mimetic theory. And the reality is that we don't really like what we like. We like what others like. And we dislike what others dislike. All right. So we, we imitate other people in their likes and dislikes. I, I remember distinctly liking a girl in high school. And... And she pretty much liked me back, but I didn't pursue it. You know why? Because my friends didn't like her. <laughs> so I thought, well, there must be something wrong with her. I, I, I don't see it. I really like her. I think she's fantastic. But nobody else, you know, when, when boys are together, nobody talks about her. So I guess, I guess I can't do that. And didn't pursue it. Only to really want to pursue it once everybody started liking her, you know, later on in school. It's very stupid, but it's very human, and um, it, it reinforces this, this idea of mimetic desire. We, we feel the pressure to love and hate the same things as, as the people that we, uh, that we deem important. Now, we're going to talk about justice next week, but it's no coincidence, friends, that everybody at the moment hates racism, for example. We are also imitating that throughout society. I'm not saying it's a good or a bad thing. I'm just saying the things that we love and the things that we hate is very much imitation of what the, the larger society does. I also um, you know, f- find it interesting to look at, to look at hipsters. And in you know, sort of the hipster way, I'm not sure if we've got like true hipsters here. But the, sort of the hipster movement, the way I understand it is, is sort of to be an alternative but what I've noticed is that all these alternative people conform to what is alternative, all right? So all the alternative people look exactly the same. And I, I think we need a different name for them. It's not that alternative anymore. And again, this just reinforces the idea that, that we fear rejection. We fear rejection. We, we, we want the approval of the people around us. And if this is true for most people, I guess it's not surprising that the church also struggles to escape this desire, this, um, the, the temptation to try and imitate the culture around it. Now, I, I grew up in a very, I want to say, archaic way of, of doing church, and it was almost hilarious how our reverend had a duemini stem a, a reverent voice. And the guy was the nicest guy in the world, but he had this superpower, which is, he would say, how hey, you, How are you doing? I said, no, thank you. I'm, I'm very well. Uh, thank you, Duomini. Okay, how, how's the rugby going? No, no, rugby's doing fine. And then, um, uh, Duomini, will you pray for us? Yeah, yeah, sure. I'll pray for us. Um, uh, he that lives in heaven, we produce. Call on your name, everything changes, and then he says, Amen. And then, oh, no, the food looks amazing, thank you very much. Like it, it just shifts like that. When he goes on the pulpit and when he preaches, duh, 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 you've got this voice, and um, and it, it felt very archaic, very, very old fashioned uh, with a bunch of other stuff. And and I, I, I rejected that way of doing church, and a lot of other people also rejected that way of doing church, but we perhaps overreacted. Because in the last few years, in the last few decades, the buzzword or the buzz term has been, you need to be a fresh expression of church. You need to be an alternative church. And uh, the the buzz term again became, we need to deconstruct church. We need to rethink how we do church. And I think there are good and bad ways of, of doing that. But what I can also tell you is that dialogue emerged as such a fresh expression of church. We were, when, when we went to these church conferences, often dialogue would be, oh, these guys are cutting edge in, in, in what they are doing. Obviously, people who, who never visited us. Um, but we, we wanted to be skeptic friendly. We, 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 we tried our best to not call it a sermon, but a talk. We tried our best to not call it a church, but a community. We tried our best to, to use secular movie clips and stay away f- as far as possible from churchy language or churchy rhetoric. Now, although I, I don't think I was ever worried about our theology, our theology was conservative and I don't think we compromised on, on that. The one thing that we did do is I, I found myself trying to hide the fact that dialogue is a church at times. I've often found myself <laughs> um, depending on, on on the circles I go trying to hide the fact that I am in, 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 in full time ministry. I wanted to write a book at j- just earlier in my life so that I can say i 'm a writer um, when they ask me, when they ask me what I do, uh, because in, in, in many many instances I, I sometimes feel like I need to hide this this side of of me. And look, we wanted to reach people. We wanted to reach people who do not necessarily want to be, reach, wanted to be reached. And we still do. And it's not all bad what we've done and, and what we're doing. But to a certain extent, we were imitating the culture around us and not Jesus. We were trying our best to impress the culture and the people around us and not trying to be apprentices of, of Jesus. And uh, in, in, in our attempt to desperately show the world that we are with it, you know, we are not like those other people. We are, um, we, are we are different. Now, the, the passage that is quite convicting is is Matthew five. It's very famous. It's uh, from the Sermon on on the Mount. Matthew five from verse eleven. If you have a book or if you have a phone, you can switch it on or turn it over. Matthew five from verse eleven. So we we're catching up. So, you know, somewhere near the end, oh, not near the end, near the beginning of the, of the sermon. And it says this, Jesus speaking. He says, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they also persecuted the prophets who were before you. Remember that you are the, the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Uh, verse verse 11 that we that we read blessed are you when you are persecuted for for my sake here's the thing friends Uh, a church that is constantly trying to please outsiders to please skeptics to please the culture around it will never be persecuted If you are never at odds with the culture, if they never frown, if they never, you know, uh, make a make a uh, look at you in disgust, then as a church we're probably doing something wrong. We're probably doing something wrong. I mean, Matthew, or at least Jesus, is not saying if you are persecuted. He says when you are persecuted. So, in other words, it must happen. At some point, it must happen. It's not a question of maybe. Maybe you're unlucky, but the, the 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 word is is when it is supposed to happen. So, in other words, if we follow Jesus, at some point we are going to have to offend the culture around us. Now, that might mean that uh, that our teaching of sin. And when we talk about sin, it offends the humanism around us. And the, this idea that you know humans are the, the, the center of limitless potential and you can do anything. And when we talk about sin and the fact that we are truly messed up, at some point, if we do this right, it will offend the, the culture who holds to this humanist view. What about the exclusive claims of Jesus? I... As difficult as it is for me to, to, to always grapple with it, it seems as if Jesus is saying that he is the unique way to God. Um, and, and, and there are many things that we can say about the, the, the lost or those who've never heard and whatever. That's not that, that talk. But the fact of the matter is, that is very exclusive and that is very much at odds with our understanding of tolerance today. Am I right? It's, 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 very, it's very insensitive to say that Jesus is the only way. What about forgiveness a few years ago forgiveness was was cute and people like that about Christianity but today Jesus's ethic of forgiveness is very much at odds with our modern understanding of justice if you say that you must forgive it seems like that's just a power play you're just trying to hide your crime we need justice we need justice now again more of that next week if if we talk about accountability that exists in the Christian community, and the fact that we are supposed to confront each other, we are supposed to urge each other on to good works, is very much at odds with our radical individualism, which says, it's my body, it's my life, you cannot tell me what to do. The list goes on. The nature and place of sex, very much at odds with our ethic of sexual liberation, and Jesus' teaching on money and hoarding and the, the fact that it can really get a grip on your heart, it very much goes against our capitalist society. Now we can try and hide these things and try and impress our secular friends and, and not talk about sin, not talk about Jesus' exclusive claims, um, maybe more emphasize more justice than forgiveness because that's what everybody wants. Um, maybe... Maybe we can talk about you are important and, and, and sort of preach something self-helpy, etc., etc. We can, we can try and impress these people and convince them that we are with it and whatnot. But I don't think we are fooling anyone, actually. We're a little bit like the adult, the cool mom, who tries to impress her daughter and her friends. And she's like, I'm, I'm, I'm not like, like the other moms. I'm, I'm, I'm cool. But nobody respects that mom. You know I, 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 they can see the lack of, of authenticity from a mile from a mile away. And to, to use the words of Stanley Havarvas, he says that the church is not giving the world enough to not believe in. Try and wrap your heads around that. The church, we are not giving the world enough to not believe in. In other words, we are not contradicting the world enough. If they say I don't believe in Christianity because look at what they preach about forgiveness, look at how radical they are about generosity, look at how radical they are about nonviolence, look at all of these things, then they can say that's why I don't believe in the church. But if we are just sort of mirroring the culture, mirroring the church, then what are we doing? We're not giving them anything to not believe in. Does that make sense? We, we we're not giving them anything to reject. We just give this watered down um christianity and i mean this passage says that we need to be the light of the world Um, but but when we bring our light what we illuminate seems to look exactly the same as everybody else there's not much there's not much to follow now there's a there's a journalist ben Sixsmith, weird surname but a great great writer and he, he writes for the spectator and uh he wrote this article, The Sad Irony of Celebrity Pastors. Now, that seems very tabloid-ish, uh, Sad Irony of Celebrity uh, Pastors, not a secular guy telling us how, how bad Christians are. But it's such a good read. And he reflects on the recent downfall of another pastor. Um, this guy, um, it's, it's a very gracious article. It's a very gracious article. But it reflects on Carl Lenz, who was Hillsong's leader in New York and very hip, he was on every talk show. Um, he really cracked, sort of, you know, the, the secular channels and, and whatnot. Uh, he, he looks a little bit like a 50-year-old boy band member. He's just tattoos, ripped, with glasses with no frames, you know, or frames with no nothing. In them. He 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 just looks the part, but he also you know played a role. It seems leading a guy like Justin Bieber to the Lord for what that's worth. So so the point is. That um, the, the guy isn't all bad, but then there was sort of a tragic fall from splendor. Um, but but this guy reflects on 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 this guy and Christianity of that nature, and he says this: It seems to represent what I call with a twist of Christianity. It's with a twist of Christianity trend. There's mainstream culture, celebrities, fashion, music, modish political activism, and a message of self-love, but with a twist of Christianity. Most people stick with mainstream culture because they can have all those things and premarital sex, which is funny. We can see the with a twist of Christianity trend everywhere. He, he talks about Jerry Falwell Jr., who's sort of this... Um, actually, you guys studied at that at, at university. I, I shouldn't have pointed that out, but um, uh, Jerry, Jerry Falwell Jr. is he's sort of this... Poster child for conservative evangelicalism, but it is funny that uh, when he's finished talking about Jesus, it looks exactly like a Donald Trump. You know, you must make a lot of money, and you must uh, you must you must kill many people in Iran. You know, it's it's, it's sort of this caricature of uh, this is this is sort of right wing politics, but with a twist of Christianity. So he says this, um, Falwell was representative of the right-wing business oriented evangelicals who offer capitalist self-enrichment and hubristic Jungoism with a twist of Christianity. Then they are progressive Christians of whom, and then they, they name this lady Nadia Bowles-Weber, who's an extreme example, who promote the usual left-wing causes with a twist of Christianity. While different in beliefs, such people share patterns of thought. The former believe secular individualists mysteriously share God's wishes for what should be done with money, while the latter think that secular progressives mysteriously share God's wishes for what should be done with our bodies. So if Christianity is such an inessential add-on, why become a Christian? And then he says this, I am not religious, so it is not my place to dictate to Christians what they should and should not believe. Still, if someone has a faith worth following... I feel that their beliefs should make me feel uncomfortable for not doing so. If they share ninety percent of my lifestyle and values, then there's nothing especially inspiring about them. Instead of making me want to become more like them, it looks very much as if they want to become more like me. That is a mic drop moment right there. <coughs> Again, a skeptic like Ben Sixsmith—he's not an idiot. He can see authenticity from a mile away. He can see that you guys are really just trying to be more like us. Trying to say, oh, this is what we look like. Flashing lights, I don't know. And, 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 and trying to make it easy for us to come in. But perhaps we need to give them something serious to disbelieve in. And then invite them to embrace this thing that is quite difficult. But as if they embrace it, life change can happen. Um, We we cannot, however, just reflect the culture, have more of the same, but with a twist of Christianity. Here in South Africa, I saw that at, uh, you can remember that that cynical fight, was it last year? The year before maybe, Um, farmer murdered there, and then you had the usual suspects, EFF, they come, and the Kumandu Corps, and some of the right-wing guys, they go there as well. And the Kumandu Corps; these guys are separatists, they are nationalists, they are, uh, fair to say, racist, okay? Uh, and, and what do they do as soon as they come into Senegal, They plant a massive cross there. They take a knee and they pray. And one of my black friends asked me about it and he said, You know what, Johan, I don't think, from what I've seen in this country, not all, not all whites are racist. Not all yeah, not all whites are racist, but all white racists are Christian. Um, they, they claim some sort of Christianity, whether it's Eugene Le Blanche or, or whoever, they claim a form of, of Christianity. So what is it? It's typical right-wing, radical right-wing nationalism with a little veneer of Christianity. And it's horrible. Something that I'm seeing all the more often now is the you know the clerical the clerical collar uh, that, that that you see in many churches like the Lutherans and the Anglicans but especially the Catholics where you've got this little white patch here. So these days it's quite popular to have the rainbow colours in the clerical collar, uh, sort of an activism and and whatnot. And I mean, if you think about the the background of that color, it was to symbolize the celibacy of this priest, who's decided I am not going to uh, I'm going to be set apart. So sexuality is something that I'm not going to pursue in my walk uh, in my walk in, with, with with God. So can people? You must really just discipline your children, friends. This is unacceptable. Um, uh, so, so, so that's the symbol of it, and now it's used as sort of a cheap form of. I hope Godi realizes that that was my kid, because she ran out here. <laughs> um, uh, so, 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 so the point is is that to now to now use that thing that is representative and indicative of you know pre syllabacy to now just use it for some sort of cheap cultural, right? I, I think is again typical left wing activism with a twist of christianity i i maybe this is somewhat unfair but i mean there's a major church denomination in this country that was very much in bed with apartheid and reflected what went on in apartheid and when you look at them now and what they teach on various whether it's sexual ethics or, or whatnot, it very much mirrors the image of what the world looks like today. And in my mind, it just lacks that prophetic edge that is needed in our, in our faith. So, so, yeah, I, I think, did, 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 did this point come through? That we need people to reject us at certain points. But, here's the thing, it needs to be for His sake not for our sake. Now, here's the point. Many churches today claim, "Ah, oh, we're persecuted, we're different in the world, we cannot be like the world, and the world hates us, and that's why they persecute us. But they are not necessarily being rejected or persecuted because of Jesus. They are being rejected and persecuted because they are obnoxious idiots, okay? So Jesus says you need to do it, if they reject you for your sake, it's fine. There's this wonderful verse in um, in First Peter 4, and, and Peter says this. He says, um, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of, of glory and of God rests upon you. But if you are insulted because you are an evildoer or a meddler, then you are not blessed. <laughs> okay? So, so so we must be very careful to say, ah, oh, persecuted, yeah, no the world just doesn't understand i can't do this no it's because you are being obnoxious it is because we are making it difficult for people to come to the lord so both this um would, both these elements come through in this, in this in this in this in this in this passage so if we follow jesus authentically the world will celebrate us as well at certain moments the world will celebrate us in the same way that at certain moments The world will hate us so for example that that verse that said you must shine your light to the people and they will see your good deeds it means that if we follow jesus and we are always contradicting the world we're always at odds with the world we're doing something wrong if you are always just annoying the world you are doing something wrong if you are always loved by the world you are doing something wrong do you guys see the tension what it means to be a follower of, of Jesus. The fact of the matter is, whether we are loved or hated by the world must ultimately be irrelevant to us, as we just try and follow uh, follow Jesus. There's something interesting that happens as well. In verse 17 and 20, we we read this this bit of I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfil the law. Nothing of the, everything of the law must be accomplished. Nothing must be relaxed on it. And then in the next stanza. It says, but your righteousness must shine and must exceed that of the Pharisees. So, so what's going on there? So the first has a very high view of Scripture and a massive demand that Christ makes of us in following this. The second stanza is sort of a backhanded reference to the Pharisees who are always making it very difficult for people to come to the light, to come to the Lord. And I think it is making the same point as earlier, which is, I demand a lot of you, and you need to follow me, even if it is difficult. And, um, and and we must try and bring people to come to the light, even if it is difficult. But on the other hand, it's also saying that if we make it difficult, if people reject Jesus because we are in their way, because we are acting in a Pharisaic way, then we have a lot to answer for. So I think it is making the same same point over and over again. And, and maybe this is a message for many people for many conservative churches, right? I think there are many churches that must hear this message, that you cannot be the reason why people are rejecting Christianity. If they if they reject Christianity because Jesus is makes t- too much of a demand on their lives, that's great. But if they reject Christianity because we are standing in the way, then we have a lot to answer for. Having said that, I don't think that is something that, that dialogue necessarily wrestles with. I think we... Are probably more in danger of falling on the conformist side trying to appease culture trying to to fit in in a in a certain sense let me just say this sort of in, in, as i try begin to close not closing don't get excited as i begin to close um gk chesterton his famous quote says you know we need to be careful to get in bed with the spirit of the age because we will find ourselves a widow in the next we need to be careful to get in bed with the spirit of the age because we will find ourselves a widow in the next. Again, it's, it's a little bit like that, the, the, the church denomination that I described. They said everything that the National Party said back then. They say pretty much everything that political correctness says now. And, 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 and the fact of the matter is in a few years from now, I think they will again be widowed because the age changes. And if you just follow the age, you're probably going to be in trouble. You know, in verse 32 of this passage, not not 30, it is 32, um, verse 13, it, there's a reference to the prophets. No, 12. There's a reference to the prophets. And, and and we need to get that prophetic stance where we are not afraid to speak truth to power, truth to culture, and we are not afraid of, of offending people. But for us, again, the temptation is, is not to offend. But the good thing is, that even though this is sometimes very difficult, and even though we as a church are supposed to be the light of the world, the true light of the world was and is Jesus Christ. And before we can even try and do this, he already did it. And in his ministry, he was loved and adored at times. At other times, he was hated and tortured. But whether people responded well or whether they responded in the way they did, it never deterred him from his mission, which is to bring light. And because he did it, we can do it. I want us to, to pray. I want us to think of how we, how we can be a countercultural presence in, in, in this world. So, so let's just close our eyes for a second. And I, I wanna ask us to to just reflect on on the following questions. Where where am I compromising at the moment? What way am I just reflecting the culture around me? Perhaps you are holding on to revenge because the world tells us that your feelings are valid. When Jesus says that you must forgive. Perhaps. Our materialism has a bigger grasp on us. Than than we might think. And Jesus calls us to radical generosity. Perhaps we've compromised sexually. Because the world says it's fine. And and Jesus' ethic is outdated. Perhaps you worry just as much as the rest of the world because you are so attached to the world. Perhaps your prayer life and Bible study life doesn't look much better than those who are not in church. Where where am I compromising? And the other question that also comes from this passage that we need to ask ourselves is perhaps perhaps you like to, to bully your lukewarm nominal Christian family and you are very quick to point out the differences between them and you and you are not drawing them to Christ, but you are a stumbling block for them. Perhaps that's you this morning. Oh, Jesus, as you us to be the light of the world and follow you the light of the world we have to admit that more often than not we fall short we get into habits and patterns that is comfortable and we imitate those around us instead of instead of trying to imitate you Lord we all have our begetting sins the sins that we struggle with I pray Lord that because you call us to a life of introspection you will reveal those things to us I pray Lord that you will convict us of those things that we are perhaps compromising on and I pray Lord that we can take one step closer into following you we can take up our cross. Lord Jesus, we don't do this just for ourselves, but we do this because we have been invited on this amazing mission with you, which is which is to be the light of the world. And it is our prayer, Lord, that dialogue community will, will be like a city on a hill. And I pray, Lord, that our collective light will shine and that people will be able to see it. And Lord, it is our prayer that that light that we that we shine will be good for navigation but that it will also expose some weaknesses and that people will be offended. But Lord, we also pray that we will do it in an authentic way that we will also That they will be able to celebrate, give you glory because of our deeds. And it's such a massive responsibility, Lord, to try and live that out. It is impossible for us to do it by ourselves. Which is why we, we kneel before you and ask you for your help. The only way in which we will ever be able to do this is if we follow you the crucified Messiah, the one who came before us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.